In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our text is the Gospel reading, which you've already heard. You may be seated. This week we continue our countdown to the resurrection. We stand at 50 days from the great feast. Today is our last gathering before we take our final step down, however, into the season of Lent this Wednesday. These past weeks, our Lord has been preparing us for this journey by equipping us with essential Christian teaching. Two weeks ago, we heard how God's grace is given freely, without merit or worthiness on our part. We have not earned it, but God simply gives it as a gift. Last week, we heard about the centrality of the Word in the Christian life. And this week, we will see how Christ himself is the center of both our understanding of the Word and of God's grace. So, dear friends, I invite you, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Our gospel reading puts before us two very different and diverging paths. On the one hand, we have the disciples of Jesus who had been with him since his baptism in the Jordan. By this point in Luke's gospel, this has been about three years. They had heard him preach and teach. They'd seen him perform miracles in order to prove all the things that he said were true. And that being said, the greatest miracle that would validate everything that he'd said and done was yet to be accomplished. His death and his resurrection in Jerusalem. But Jesus had told them that it was coming. We hear it very plainly in our gospel text. See, look, behold, he says, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day... He will rise. But this isn't the only time that he told them what was about to happen. The beauty of the way that the Holy Spirit has directed St. Luke to arrange his gospel is that there are three of these so-called passion predictions in the course of the gospel. And this is the third one. Jesus has not been hiding this fact from them. But, Luke tells us, they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. This is pretty different from what we heard a couple of weeks ago with the parable of the sower. When they had Jesus on his own, they pulled him aside and they said, What does this parable mean? They were willing to ask what this parable that was sort of, the meaning was sort of hidden from them, as I said, in plain sight. They were willing to ask about it, but this, which was told to them plainly, they didn't understand and they didn't ask what he could possibly mean. So what gives? Is this just a case of an innocent misunderstanding or is there something more sinister at work here? Well, I do believe that this is the latter do you recall Jesus' passion prediction 
in Matthew's gospel. Jesus told them he was going to be crucified, that he was going to be raised. And when he says that, Peter pulls him aside in order to rebuke him and says, Lord, this will never happen to you. Jesus famously looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Your thinking is on the things of man, not on the things of God. St. Paul reminds us in his epistles that spiritual things can only be understood by the power of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, the things of God are indecipherable. They are hidden from us, and we cannot understand these things. And a lot of times, the things of God are even completely contrary to the things that we understand. That's one of the paths that we see, the path of the disciples, their blindness to the teaching and the plain truth of Jesus. But on the other hand, we have another path, this beautiful example of the blind beggar. We know his name, by the way. St. Mark tells us his name is Bartimaeus. We can't be sure how well Bartimaeus knew Jesus because this is the first time we see him come up in the Gospels, but we can surmise that he probably knew him by reputation. Jesus had been to Jerusalem a number of times. The Gospels are full of those little notes about how Jesus' fame spread throughout whatever region he's in, that even the Canaanite woman, who we will hear about in a few weeks on one of the Sundays in Lent, the one whose daughter is possessed by a demon, even she knew who he was, knew enough to call him Jesus, the son of David, despite the fact that she was a Gentile and had really no context about who David was or the Old Testament scriptures at all. Bartimaeus, when he hears that Jesus is coming, would not be dissuaded from calling out to him despite the harsh rebukes that he received from others in the crowd that are surrounding Jesus. This brings to mind when parents were bringing young children to Jesus, those that were thought Jesus would have no time for. They, they called upon Jesus to lay his hand on their children to bless them, and the disciples rebuked them, saying, Beat it, kid. Jesus has more important things to do. But Bartimaeus knew that Jesus was a man of mercy. And he could, and he would heal him of his blindness. How ironic it is that a man who was blind could see more clearly than the twelve who had been with Jesus for three years. That he could see clearly to who he actually is. This reminds me of another blind man that we encounter in the scriptures in John 9. We learn there that there was a man that was actually born blind, and when Jesus healed him, he doesn't really reveal much about his identity to that man. He knew that it was Jesus who healed him, but that's really about it. He confessed Jesus to be the Messiah based on that healing, and then he's later excommunicated by the Pharisees for such a confession. Despite being removed from the pews of his home synagogue, the man clung faithfully to Jesus and his word. But the Pharisees, who could see with their eyes clearly and could see the miracles of Jesus at work, 
rejected Jesus, revealing their spiritual blindness. Claiming to be the disciples of Moses, they rejected the center of Moses' writings. Dear friends in Christ, how can we be granted such spiritual insight to behold Christ and confess him as our Savior despite all of the messaging that we have to the contrary? Or how can we continue to hold this despite all of the experiences that we have in this life? How can we see through the pain and the confusion of this age? How can we see through death that Jesus is the Savior? How can we hear with all of the noise that is surrounding us? The world offers us many options, many things to distract us from the truth of Jesus. Whether they be politicians or singers or athletes or whatever it might be. These are adorned with the outward glory that the world worships. But they are nothing but blind guides. Our eyes, if we are to see the path of righteousness and salvation, our eyes must be opened to behold the true Savior, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of David. The world sees nothing but a Jewish rabbi who died, yes, but does not see him as the one who rose again on the third day to destroy death and to bring life and immortality to light. They see one who died on the cross for his political convictions. They do not see one who is a savior. This is the savior, dear saints, on whom we must fix our eyes. Last week, as we heard the parable of the sower, I urged us to return to our Lutheran roots by challenging, challenging you again to read the Gospels this year. So let's do it. Let's be people of the Word of God. Let's allow Christ's Word to plow the hard-packed soil of our hearts. Let's let His law break up the stony soil and weed out all of the thorns and thistles of the distractions of this life. Let us lay aside every weight that hinders us. Let Christ plant his word in your heart and nourish it by reading it and by hearing it. For it is by this word that God created the heavens and the earth. It is by this word that God healed the blindness of Bartimaeus. It is by this word that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead after four days in the tomb. It is by this word that God reveals himself to us in the flesh and blood Jesus, crucified for our sins and raised for our justification. It is by this word that God has spoken to us in these last days. As St. James says in his little epistle, it is this implanted word as it is read and considered and studied and preached that is able to save your souls from death. This Wednesday, we begin our journey to the cross. Let us walk with Jesus, that we may truly see the point of his mission 
and His preaching and His miracles. That Jesus has come to be handed over, to be crucified, to die, and on the third day be raised again for your salvation, for the salvation of your immortal souls, and for the salvation of the entire world. In Jesus' name. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.